The IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. We are hosts from the offerings team here at IBM Cloud. My name is Ian Lynch. And this is Steve Choquette. And today, guys, myself and Steve are joined by Marvin Goodman. Marvin's from the analyst relations team here at IBM. Marvin, welcome to the show, buddy. Welcome back to the show. Cheers, guys. Good to be here. Hey, did we have this guy before, Ian? We did, Steve, but he's a good guy, Steve. You've known him how many years now? So he came on your recommendation. So if Marvin's is not as good as you make out, Steve, we're in trouble. Oh, no. I think he's pretty good. But Steve, you know, because Marvin is so hooked up with all the analysts and he's in the know and he's got his finger on the pulse all the time, we're going to pull the deep ones right out of the bottom of the bag and keep on going with the hard ones. So Marvin, hold on to your seat, buddy. Here we go. So Marvin, I'm going to kick off with the first question. And I guess it's probably one you get all the time, buddy, in fairness. So my apologies for asking it, but I'm sure a lot of the listeners want to find this out as well, is that when clients and enterprises are especially are choosing cloud vendors today, or even when they have cloud vendors, we find that they have multiple cloud vendors, right? They're not just sticking with the one because it basically doesn't fit their cloud strategy because as we all know, one size doesn't actually fit all. So yeah, that, that was actually more my question. When one size doesn't fit all, but why is that the case? You know, Ian, I think we saw a rush to cloud uh, in the same way that we saw a rush to virtualization when it first debuted. It had it had a lot of attractive features, and it was really exciting to move there and be able to maybe save some money or or uh, be a little bit more nimble in terms of um, expanding and contracting workloads and so on. Uh, but then we found after, say, the first 50% of, or so of, of enterprise workloads moved to the cloud, we found that it was uh, much more difficult to move the rest of them, right? They had, they had some very specific characteristics. They had some very specific requirements. And the model for quickly moving them to cloud didn't work for those applications. And so what clients are searching for now is a place where they can enjoy the cloud benefits that they got from workloads that they quickly moved to the cloud, but which um, which suit the very specific, um, the sort of specific needs of the rest of their applications. And um, it is definitely not a one size fits all proposition. Okay, so if I were to retire from IBM and become a real estate agent, uh, which actually I've seen some coworkers do, I, I know that I'd be telling everybody it was all about location, location, location. I think we hear that probably way too much from a realtor. But, you know, I mean, for your data and your workload, what kind of role does location play? It sounds to me like there's stuff that um, where location is really important. Yeah, location really matters to clients uh, for co- for a couple of reasons. One is sort of performance and latency reasons, right? The um, A lot of applications that are moving to the cloud have mobile components to them. So they need a very strong edge strategy. They need to have net cloud networks and uh, that are close to where clients are using the application. They also have massive amounts of data that have to be shipped back to the, um, to the enterprise for data processing. So uh, having uh, nearby data centers and, and robust communications paths to those are pretty important because 
the one thing clients won't tolerate is slow application performance. So um, uh, that's a place where geography really matters. So having data centers that are close to where the applications are being used is, is important for a performance reason. But uh, perhaps a, a much more complex reason are the, the range of data sovereignty rules that, that um, companies are subject to. So they might have their own personal or corporate policies for how data is stored and where data is stored, but it's more likely that either for the industry they're in or for the country they reside in, that they might be subject to some very specific laws about where data can reside. And so they don't have as much flexibility to ship uh, workloads to the cloud if they aren't able to store that data um, inside their country. So think, for example, of Germany, where they have some very specific data sovereignty rules that mandate that German customer data be stored in a data center in Germany. If you're a cloud vendor and don't have data centers in Germany, you're not going to be a viable candidate for that business. So Marvin, if Steve runs off and he joins his real estate company, right? And after some time, he convinces them that, you know what, guys, we need to move all this data to the cloud and our workloads because it makes sense. What kind of conversation would Steve need to be having with these guys to say, guys, if we're going to be moving in three to six months, here's the things that we need to start thinking about today as we make these kind of lift and shift decisions. So what does he need to, what's the conversations look like? Yeah, the conversation isn't so much about, or it doesn't begin with moving to the cloud. The conversation really begins with an assessment of that application and its data. And, uh, and that's done at the, at, the, at the local level, right? Where we look at an application and the architects and the people who, um, who design and run that application need to identify what types of data are we storing with this application? Where does this data reside now? And is this data subject to any sort of rules and requirements? And once they have that assessment and they have a picture of what is the nature of my workload? What type of compute do I need? Am I able to separate data that's stored locally versus data that moves to the cloud? And what are the, um, what are the characteristics of that data? Once I understand that, I can then begin to look at cloud vendors that would uh, be appropriate. So the assessment is really the first thing that has to happen. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, when I first get started, I need to sit down with the cloud vendor, understand, you know, whether they have a data center in my country, if I have rules that fit there. Um, I need to find out, you know, where my data is going through, who can look at it, uh, different things like that. And then, you know, I'm going to be able to make a decision, you know, is this the right vendor or not the right vendor? Uh, but given that, I mean, is there data that perhaps never, ever moves outside of on-premises? It would always be in my data center? We actually hear that from clients every day, Steve. We have clients that tell us, look, we have data that will never, ever, ever move to the cloud. Do, are you telling me that I can't enjoy the benefits of cloud because I have data that can't uh, move into the cloud? And that's where where you have a conversation around things like hybrid cloud deployments and and um, and the ability to keep data in the data center but still be able to use cloud technologies in other ways to achieve agility, speed, etc. Um, again, that's part of that assessment phase, but um, there there are a lot of workloads where the data will never move to the cloud. Think particularly areas like finance or super proprietary data, maybe pharmaceutical companies with research data, et cetera. So um, 
you know, we, we've talked a lot about the data, and it sounds like data and the placement of your data and the rules and regulations around your data is a, a, a particularly strong driver. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, just like data privacy, and I don't know that data privacy will ever disappear as an important consideration, but do all the vendors have something very similar? I mean, if, if I were to, I mean, I'm a Watson guy. And so, you know, if I were to say, I want you to watch out and not use my data, I want you to protect it, I don't want it shared, is that really going to happen? I mean, do they all really do it kind of the same way? I think they all have similar goals, Steve, but their approaches are different. Some that focus exclusively on public cloud tend to skirt around the issue of, of multi-tenant data storage and noisy neighbors and, and, and so on. And they tend to focus on the cost picture, right? Um, but it's really cheap and easy to store data in our cloud. Um, and of course, it's encrypted and secure. Um, but they tend to skirt the question of, well, um, or, or, or how do we how do we use your data if it if it can't move to our cloud, right? And so we're seeing a current sort of scramble among cloud vendors to be able to address the need to store data within the data center, but still connect it to the public cloud. It's it's a growing, changing, dynamic area right now. So Marvin, back way, way back in 2017, like resilience, scalability, and kind of the plateau of services you had on offer was kind of the key things that would define, well, you know, I'm going to choose this vendor over this vendor. But with the introduction of data, and I'm sure the way data is used and behaves, I'm sure that's all changed these days, right? So what's the driving factors that are really kind of making C-levels go right? I need this provider for here and that vendor over here. What's driving that? Yeah, right, Ian, you're right. Those are really table stakes. Um, both uh, the analyst community and the clients that they talk to have essentially accepted the fact that, um, that workloads that are on the cloud are more stable and more secure than running in a private data center um, that an enterprise IT department is managing. So we don't see a lot of differentiation on that. We don't see analysts talking much about that. Those are table stakes, as you said. What they're really looking at now is how flexible are these clouds? Uh, we, we already established that the next wave of workloads to, to be part of the cloud evolution are much more sophisticated. They have more sophisticated requirements. They're harder to move. Um, they're larger and more complex. And so what they're really looking for now is cloud vendors that have a lot of flexibility in how they can integrate with uh, on-premises data centers and, and legacy applications, whether it's the types of compute that they offer, a really wide range of um, high control versus um, versus um, you know things that are extremely abstract. So, do I have legacy applications that I just want to stuff into containers or into VMs and move to the cloud, um, or do I do I have um, applications that that I want to really modernize with things like event-based serverless programming? So the 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 range of compute options and the range of integration capabilities and and the ability to catalog APIs and so on are the new sort of uh, differentiating factors when clients are looking for a cloud vendor. So we had um, a couple of weeks back, we had James Moore on. And, you know, um, we had started, I think Ian's first question talked about four, five, six clouds 
you know, different cloud providers sitting in an enterprise. And I've heard you use stats before around that. Uh, how important is the ability to manage uh, enterprises across those multiple clouds? Is that also the next big thing? And then I got one more question. Why don't you nail that one down? That will be the next big thing, Steve. In fact, um, analysts are talking about it a lot. And I can guarantee when you read all of their uh, 2019 prediction articles that they all like to write in November and December, that they will talk about multi-cloud management in a lot of those because that is the new, that is the new uh, paradigm. Um, 85, 86% of clients, this is sort of a survey across all of the analyst firms, indicate that not only are they using five to six cloud vendors now, but they are absolutely intent upon continuing to do that. And they have a lot of reasons for that. They are they are recognizing the fact that it's not a one-size-fits-all proposition. It's some um, offer a better solution to one type of application than another, but they also want to avoid being locked into a single vendor. So um, what what you have in that situation is islands of cloud traffic. And if, if you've got five or six cloud vendors and you have to manage them all separately, you've done nothing to eliminate complexity. You've added complexity. And so being able to survey and manage those workloads across multiple clouds is going to be really, really uh, important in 2019. So adding complexity is not a good thing, huh? No. <laughs> so um, let's, let's um, you know, we've talked about uh, Security, we've talked about resilience. Uh, we spent some time talking about data privacy and how the world is hybrid, whether you want it or not. And we've talked about management. How important is it that my cloud provider has some sort of experience in the industry that I am? Let's say I'm a home builder or some other business. I mean, do I, how important is it that they know what I do and can tune their environment for my environment? I think that's going to become extremely important now, Steve. We've talked several times about how the the, the ongoing cloud evolution um, is now at the point where clients have these more sophisticated, um, more industry-specific, nuanced workloads that did not fit into the sort of rapid, you know, flip it over to the cloud model where they had they had more sophisticated needs, they had more complex needs. And some of that revolves around the particular industry that they're in, whether it's different types of compute or different um, types of, uh, of network throughput capability or data storage requirements. When they have those, those industry-specific applications, they tend to be extremely mission critical, right? They are the core of their business. Uh, retail apps are more important to a retailer than their HR apps, right? Um, and, and this extends through pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, auto manufacturing, etc. We're now into the point where they're really important mission critical applications are their targets for cloud evolution. And they are not likely to move those unless they have an assurance that the cloud vendor understands that business. They don't, um, they don't trust a one-size-fits-all approach. And having that pedigree, that understanding of how that business works, what its ebbs and flows are like, um, how, how you managed it uh, when it was a legacy IT application um, will translate into how you will manage it as a cloud vendor. And so that linkage is really important when, when clients are looking for a cloud vendor. 
I kind of feel that the lines are starting to become blurred around complexity and... Yeah, I think it's really important for a cloud vendor to be able to reduce complexity. Um, the reason that um, that the second half of enterprise workloads didn't move to the cloud quickly was because they were complex. It, a, a cloud vendor isn't going to get uh, business from a client if they say, well, this is just super complex and we can't do it. Um, what a cloud vendor has to be able to do is leverage their experience in working with that type of workload for other clients, um, managing multiple clouds, and reduce that complexity. Because at the end of the day, um, the migration of workloads to the cloud um, should reduce and eliminate complexity, not make it worse. Now, whether you're passing that complexity on to the cloud vendor or not um, remains to be seen. But the uh, it's imperative that cloud vendors not only understand that complexity, uh, but be able to deal with it and, and insulate the client from it. Sure, Marvin, but it's not also just complexity, right? I know I said complexity, but it's more it's more customization because nothing is out of the box. Because again, it gets back to this, there's not one size fits all for everything. So you may look at it as, well, I was looking at it as complexity, but it's actually when it boils down to Marvin is different to Ian, which is different to Steve. Uh, very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, and I think <laughs> that's where that notion of, um, of assessment uh, comes into play, where you are identifying the particular characteristics of that workload um, and and you're then applying that um, that assessment to what the cloud vendor offers in terms of range of compute options or service options and so on. So it, it becomes important that you have an architectural bent and that your um, your cloud vendor understands enterprise IT architecture um, as well as understanding cloud architecture because that's how you understand that that. Um, those, those specific characteristics and be able to determine, hey, what is the best what is the best set of cloud resources that I can marshal to be able to migrate this workload? So Marvin, stick with that point, okay? Marvin is now looking at this 2019 strategy from Marvin doc, marvingoodman.com. What, what are you thinking about? What, what are you looking at as you're redesigning your cloud strategy for 2019? What's your top three things? What's the big things that are keeping Marvin Goodman up at night as a CIO or a C-level in your company? Sure. I would say number one is how do I avoid disruption? My competitors are innovating in this space, and some of them are very small, upstart, nimble competitors who don't have as much bureaucratic overhead as I do at a big corporation like MarvinGoodman.com. Uh, so they're able to act very nimbly and agilely, and um, I need to be able to do that too. So my workloads are infinitely more complex than theirs. Um, so I want a solution that will allow me to exercise innovation in things like continuous delivery and continuous engineering um, the same way that a small startup can. Um, so I can innovate like a startup, for example, even though I'm a big giant corporation. Um, the second thing is that's keeping me awake at night is probably how do I manage my data in a way that meets my requirements, whether they're regulatory or promises with my customer or corporate policies, how do I manage that data, but still get that data to a place where I can apply analytics tools to it? Because that data is my currency now. The, the, the insights I find in that data are what's going to give me an advantage over my competitors. So 
perhaps there's a place where I might have an advantage over a small startup. I've got a lot more data to work with, but I've got to be able to get that data into my analytics tools so that I so that I can uh, make headway with it. And probably the third thing is with this in this dynamic environment where I've got lots of different cloud vendors that I'm working with. How do I manage all of this complexity? How do I how do I keep my eyes on all of these workloads that may be running in different places and not have um, a, a chaotic screen in front of my eyes? So, Ian, we actually got some good taglines there. First of all, we got to plug MarvinGoodman.com. Uh, we don't always get to plug. Uh, I don't know what your company does, Marvin, but it's it's now famous. <laughs> Um, I think that we just learned, I mean, a couple different things I picked up here is that, you know, you want a cloud vendor that knows you, that understands your business. Uh, if you're oil and gas, or like my example earlier, I'm a construction person, uh, a home builder, I, I want somebody that knows that. I like, um, I like the line, innovate like a startup. You know, if you're an existing enterprise, I think you still... You know, you've got to go head to head with those startups and they're just going to sneak in from behind. And like you said, Marvin, uh, you know, data is your new currency. And so you've got tons of data that that little startup doesn't have. Uh, it's got to be accessible. It's got to be regulated. It's got to be protected, but you've got it. And then, um, you know, you talked about the complexity of the workload and managing those workloads. And I think tying it back to, to where we first started a while back, uh, but there's just no one size that fits all. You just got to personalize your cloud for MarvinGoodman.com or IanLynch.com. And it's going to be different for Ian than it's going to be for Marvin, right? That's exactly right. And and I think in that case, I would want to work with uh, a cloud vendor that had seen a lot of type of workloads that understood my business, that understood me and my customers. Because at the end of the day, how I run that workload in the cloud is kind of irrelevant. What really matters to me is that my application helps me run my business efficiently and that it makes my customers happy. And you as a cloud vendor, um, how you do that is really up to you. Um, what's important to me is my, my application and my clients. And so if you don't understand those two things, um, it's gonna be hard for you to really serve me as a cloud vendor. So then Marvin, as one of the highest paid C-level executives on the globe, would you choose IBM or do we tick all the boxes that would help an enterprise of your scale or bigger, sorry, or smaller, sorry, Marvin, um, would it help them? Like, I think I would choose IBM and I'll, and I'll tell you why, because IBM has the pedigree that I would be looking for. Well, don't be afraid to say you choose somebody <laughs> else as well, Marvin, right? So it's... It, it, it is like, right, so today we have multi-cloud and that's what we're here to talk about, right? So I, I just want to make sure that IBM are ticking the boxes and the same way the rest of the guys are too. They are ticking the boxes, right? Uh, they were one of the first to support GDPR, for example. So uh, IBM really understood what um, what the impact to clients would be of those data privacy regulations. And and they innovate in terms of types of compute. They offered, uh, they created the serverless platform OpenWhisk and gave it back to the Open Foundation, the Apache Foundation, because uh, so they they are both innovative, but have that legacy understanding of uh, of mission critical workloads, and those are the things that would matter the most to me. Okay, insightful. Thank you. And Marvin, in general, thank you again for coming on the show today. It was super informative. And one of the things that you said to me actually that stuck out is that 
people don't and it was it was related to hybrid you said that people don't go out looking for a hybrid environment they end up with a hybrid environment because of this whole personalization and not one thing fits all or one cloud fits all for everybody so yeah really informative marvin thank you for coming on keeping us entertained for the last 20 25 minutes cheers guys yeah it was great to have you on the show buddy and guys myself and steve as always thanks a mil for joining in see you next time on the ibm cloud podcast